the History Channel original podcast. Almost every modern debate about the greatest of all time involves two names, LeBron James and Michael Jordan. Usually, these GOAT debates come down to one thing, championships. Not just championship appearances, rings. In the 1990s, Michael Jordan played in six finals and won all six times. It's why most consider Jordan the GOAT. I might not have been alive for the first three championships of Jordan's career, but everyone knows about how dominant he was, about his competitiveness and intensity, no matter what he's doing. Whether it's baseball, basketball, ping pong, tennis, golf, he's going to (laughs) compete and he wants to beat your brains out. But today, we're going to talk about a period of his life when he wasn't great, why he left the NBA to try to make it in baseball. We talked with several guests, including his minor league manager, Terry Francona, to figure out why Jordan decided to ditch his luxury lifestyle to take eight-hour bus rides to minor league baseball games. We also take a look at the chaos the Chicago Bulls went through for those 18 months without their biggest star, and how Jordan was able to return triumphant to dominate in a way that we've never seen since. Sports history this week, June 16th, 1996. The GOAT reclaims the NBA title. I'm Kaylin Jones. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. It's October 6, 1993. A black Mercedes slowly drives toward the Birdo Center in Deerfield, Illinois, where the Chicago Bulls practice. A team of security guards jogs alongside the car. The way his Mercedes was guarded, you would have thought it was the president coming to the arena. But it's not Bill Clinton. It's someone infinitely more popular. Michael Jordan. Dozens of reporters and photographers are crammed inside the practice facility, waiting. Finally, Jordan strolls into the press room as cameras flash and journalists whisper. He takes a seat at a long table with a red tablecloth next to his wife Juanita and every Bulls VIP, from Scottie Pippen to John Paxson, the chairman Jerry Krause, to head coach Phil Jackson. It looks like the Last Supper. Bulls owner Jerry Reinsdorf speaks first, and he confirms all the Bulls fans' worst fears. It's really been an honor and a pleasure for me and for the people of Chicago to have had Michael here for nine years. I used to say it was the Babe Ruth of basketball. I've now come to believe that Babe Ruth was the Michael Jordan of baseball. Then Jordan takes his turn at the microphone. It's not because I don't love the game. I love the game of basketball. I always will. I just feel that at this particular time in my career, I've reached the pinnacle of my career. But I just feel that I don't have anything else for myself to prove. Why is Jordan doing this? Why leave at the top of his game when he's the biggest superstar on the planet? Who does that? One theory 
he's actually been told to step away from the NBA because of his alleged gambling habits. Jordan has a reputation for risking hundreds of thousands of dollars on blackjack and golf games. But anyone actually close to the situation knows, this is the most ludicrous, stupid thing I've ever heard. Sam Smith is a writer for Bulls.com and the author of The Jordan Rules. I think in one of the Boston papers, I saw something, columns suggesting, well, maybe it was Michael's fault because he, was, he owed money to his gamblers. I mean, just horrible stuff. This was the most popular, best player in the history of their league, the biggest moneymaker. You just have to be stupid to believe something like that. I used to joke about, you know, there was scuff on David Stern's trousers from begging Michael Jordan to stay in the NBA. <laughs> so what are the real reasons that Jordan's retiring? One explanation is that Jordan and the Bulls are just burned out. The Bulls are coming off five consecutive deep playoff runs, including the last three NBA Finals. They're the team of the 90s. The Bulls had a saying that winning three straight titles really sort of exhausts the human possibilities. Roland Lazenby is the author of Michael Jordan, The Life, and Bull Run, the story of the 1995-96 Chicago Bulls. There's no relief from the pressure. And of course, the primary person applying that pressure was Jordan himself. He was fierce. He would do anything, say anything, humiliate anybody, do whatever he needed to do to keep everything just right on line. There's never any time to celebrate. But exhaustion is just one part of it. On July 23rd, 1993, Michael Jordan's father, James Jordan, was murdered in a carjacking while sleeping at a rest stop on I-95 in North Carolina. He was devastated. Michael was in deep and profound grief. He was really close with his father. They were really buddies. I was sort of jealous of their relationship. They were really just like brothers. They were friends, hung out together, did things together. And he always talked about his father's dream for him was to be a baseball player. When he decided to step away, did the Bulls, as an organization, try to get Michael to reconsider? Or what did they do maybe to try to convince him to stay? Well, you know, Phil understood the emotional quotient. Phil Jackson, the Bulls head coach. He had played for the Knicks. He'd been on championship teams. And he knew the coach had to have a great relationship with the leader of the team. And so he told him he loved him. And he wasn't going to try to, to push him when he knew that, you know, baseball was the thing that Michael's father loved. Jordan is a great athlete, and great athletes can usually play multiple sports at a high level. Growing up, Jordan dominated in baseball. When he was 12, he led his Little League team to a championship game with a clutch three-run homer. In the Babe Ruth League All-Star Game in 1975, he struck out 12 straight batters and was named Little League Player of the Year in North Carolina. But playing at the professional level, even in the minors, that's a huge challenge for someone who's been out of the game since graduating high school in 1981. Good thing Jordan loves these kinds of challenges. He believed he could do anything, and no one was willing to fail like Jordan did. He put himself in golf tournaments against pros. He went in a dunk contest against the best dunkers. He went in the three-point contest against the best shooters. Things that he wasn't as good at, 
but he believed that he could beat anybody, and he tried everything. But how does someone just decide to join a pro baseball team? It's not like a random person off the street could do this. Jordan's got a pretty good connection. The owner of the Chicago Bulls, Jerry Reinsdorf, he also owns the Chicago White Sox. So, Jordan heads to Sarasota, Florida for spring training, taking batting practice, shagging fly balls in the outfield, and at the daily 7 a.m. coaches meeting, word comes down that Jordan will be starting the year for the Birmingham Barons, the White Sox double-A team. My life changed drastically. Terry Francona is the manager of the Cleveland Guardians. He's had an incredible career in the big leagues, winning two World Series with the Boston Red Sox. But in 1994, he's managing the Barons. You know, you go from a place where you're just happy that the game's on the radio to all of a sudden, you know, you have people from Nightline and Hard Copy and Ted Koppel and guys like that. Everybody wanted a piece of it. Were players on your team starstruck? Were players from opposing teams ever starstruck, like asking for his autograph and stuff like that? Yeah, and I'm sure probably more than I ever realized. Um, And also the biggest thing, I think, was trying to make the other 24 guys feel every bit as important as MJ, because to me, I already knew those guys. And, you know, those guys were every bit as important to me, and I needed to balance that and make sure they understood that. It still takes time for his new teammates to adjust. Here are two of them being interviewed by MSNBC in early 1994. I resent it in a way that, you know, I've, this is all I've worked for my whole life, and then a guy can come right in and um, get the opportunity that I've been looking for. I think you know, it's a case of a guy who, who's got some connections and has, has a big name, um, you know, taking advantage of it. Sports Illustrated runs a cover story on March 14th with the headline, Bag it, Michael. Jordan and the White Sox are embarrassing baseball. Everyone was taking shots at him. It's like, you know, who are you to be able to try this kind of thing? And usually he was good at that and just, you know, sort of waved it off. That one seemed to bother him to the point where I don't think he's ever spoken to Sports Illustrated again. For Jordan, this is not a publicity stunt. He just wants to get better and help his team win baseball games. Terry Francona. All the same things we ask everybody else. Don't be late. Run balls out. He did everything. So I give him a ton of credit for it working the way it did because he could have done things differently and he chose not to. And the legendary Michael Jordan work ethic is on full display. You know, MJ would go home at night sometimes with his hands bleeding just because he hit so much. Because he wanted to figure it out. Like he loved the challenge. And I look at MJ's hands and I'll be like, God, man, you got to take a break for a day, man. You're not going to be able to put your hands around that bat. Jordan is all in. He rents a house in Birmingham for his family with a basketball hoop out front. He buys in the clubhouse domino games and he gets to know the local pool halls and rib joints. And yet, did it bruise his ego at all riding around in buses with a bunch of kids eating McDonald's? <laughs> How's it not bruise your ego? He's not about ego. He's about the game. He's, a, he's just about a purity and a love for play. What baseball was really was a way to, you know, to rediscover the love of the game. And so it didn't take long for them to realize that he's just one of us trying to earn his way to the major leagues. And that's what he's trying to do. This is a guy coming in saying, I want to do what you're doing. Could you help me get there? Because he's asking these kids for tips. 
Still, he's a 30-year-old grown man, an international icon playing on a team with a bunch of teenagers. It was a very lonely existence for him playing in the minor leagues in Birmingham. He would sit out on the deck at night looking at the stars, a lot of lonely bus trips, the challenge of remaking his basketball body into a baseball body. There were all kinds of things going on, but that really gave him some time to grieve. But after just a few months of minor league games, Francona thinks Jordan might have a shot. For him to do what he did, you know, he stole 30 bases, he drove in 50 runs. We had prospects that didn't do that. He was getting better. But on August 12th, during the 1994 season, the MLB players go on strike. Now in 1994, in the midst of the greed era in Major League Baseball, no World Series, no more baseball this year. The owners want a salary cap. The players don't. And the season is canceled. Jordan wasn't going to get called up to the majors in 94, but looking ahead to 95, he doesn't know if the MLB season will even happen. All of a sudden, baseball might not be in Michael Jordan's future. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Would Michael Jordan have made it to the majors as a baseball player? Again, his minor league manager, Terry Francona. It's not fair until you give a guy about a thousand at bats. But I found out from being around him for a year, if you tell him no, he's going to find out a way to make the answer be yes. You might be wondering, couldn't Jordan have just waited out the strike, gone back to playing baseball after it was over? Well, in this strike, Jordan doesn't have to wait. And that's the problem. Jerry Reinsdorf, the White Sox owner, wants Jordan to cross the picket line and play in big league spring training in 95. If he played in one of those games and they charged admission, he'd be considered a strike breaker. And so he, at that point, walked away. You know, he didn't want to be in that position to be used as a political pawn. He was not going to be a scab. So with baseball on hiatus, he starts mulling his options. Now, let's rewind the clock all the way back to Jordan's retirement in October of 1993. Back in Chicago, the Bulls, in their first season without Jordan, are actually doing pretty well. They had a great season. They had the whole team that they still had, except for him, which obviously they accept. But they brought in a couple of good guys. Tony Kukoc, who's a Hall of Famer, was 
in my view, the best player ever to come out of Europe. He would have been what Luka Doncic is now. The Bulls made him a power forward because that's what they needed. Led by Scottie Pippen, the Bulls win 55 games during the regular season, just two less than they won the previous year with Jordan. But in the playoffs, that's when you really miss having Michael Jordan on your team. Pippen was always considered Jordan's perfect number two, the Robin to Jordan's Batman. And when Jordan leaves, many question whether Pippen has what it takes to be the team's unquestioned leader. Can I cuss on this thing? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's like when Pippen had his migraine against the Pistons. Michael's response immediately was, F*** him. Let him play blind. Pippen's a Hall of Fame talent on the court, but he just doesn't have that same maniacal, competitive drive that Jordan has. Pippen and his teammates, like Horace Grant, just do things that Jordan would never do. Like when Pippen misses practice because his cat died. They get over there and, and Scotty and Horace want to have a moment of silence for Scotty's cat. And they, you know, they just freak out. Jordan's going crazy, you know? And <laughs> this was not a, a nurturing, comforting society, the Bulls of Michael Jordan. May 13th, 1994. Against the Jacksonville Suns in Florida, Michael Jordan goes one for four at the plate with a run scored. But over in Chicago, the Bulls are fighting for their lives against the New York Knicks in Game 3 of the Eastern Conference semifinals. And they're about to truly experience what it's like to face a tough opponent in the playoffs without Michael Jordan at the wheel. The Bulls and Knicks are tied at 102 late in the fourth quarter. Chicago has an opportunity to win the game with one final shot, and Phil Jackson draws up an inbounds play, not for Scottie Pippen, but for Tony Kukoc. Pippen is so angry that he stays on the bench, he doesn't even go on the court for the last play of the game. Myers triggers an inbounds pass. Kukoc for the win! The play works. Kukoc scores and the Bulls win. But Pippen is still fuming. You had the best player refusing to come into a game at the end because he didn't get the play called from. Now, could you imagine that happening with Michael Jordan on the team? Reporters ask Jordan what he thinks. And he says, I kept telling Scotty, it's not easy being me. Now he knows. The Bulls ultimately lose that series to the Knicks and miss out on the NBA Finals for the first time in four seasons. And the two teams that do make it to the Finals, the Knicks and the Houston Rockets, they just don't have that Michael Jordan magic. These brutal, <laughs> ugly Knicks-Houston playoffs, no offense to those teams, the games were physical, poorly played, ugly, just you know, street battles. It was horrible to watch. And so basketball is thinking, uh, we need something special, something beautiful, and not that. Something special, something beautiful. It sounds like they just want Michael Jordan back. Because once he left, it was like somebody knocking a punch hole in four tires of the NBA, and they all went flat. You know, ratings fell. The NBA world just wasn't the same. But even with baseball on strike, Jordan is not quite ready to rejoin the Bulls for the start of the next season in October of 1994. 
And this time without Jordan, the Bulls struggle. They were barely a 500 team, and they were sinking badly in the East. Pippen had had a lot of breakdowns, uh, threw a chair on the court one time, you know, kicked out of games. The team was completely coming apart. Without him there, you know, the thing was uh, splintering. Good thing for them that with MLB still on strike heading toward winter, Jordan is planning to come back to the NBA at some point late in the season. Over the winter, he doesn't officially join the Bulls yet, but he does start playing in a couple of private scrimmages during some team practices. And yeah, it's a little strange for the team having a guy who left the NBA over a year earlier just casually popping up for practices. They don't quite know how to play with him, and, and he's not in quite in basketball shape yet. You know, Jordan is a you know, transcendent figure to them, too. Jordan does not immediately gel with the team. Bulls guard Steve Kerr describes Jordan at these practices as unapproachable, with a looming presence that intimidates everyone on the team. Regardless, reporters in Chicago catch wind of the fact that Jordan could start playing in games any day now. And pretty soon, Bulls practices are full of media. We were at the practice one day before he'd come back, and Tom Brokaw was there, you know, one of the biggest media figures in the country at that time. And the other reporter turns to me and he said, Tom Brokaw's sitting there. This is going to be pretty big. On March 18th, 1995, Jordan's finally ready to make his return official. He and his agent, David Falk, work on several drafts of a press release discussing the various reasons for his return. His love of basketball, his competitiveness, his feeling that he still has unfinished business. But ultimately, Falk says, Jordan felt that his comeback didn't require an explanation or a justification. Instead, Jordan releases a simple two-word statement. I'm back. And then boom, he's coming back and the whole thing gets jacked up to an unbelievable level. The next day, Jordan's on the court in his Bulls jersey. Not with his iconic 23 on the back, but 45. A tribute to his brother Larry. His first game back is on the road against the Pacers. It doesn't matter what team they root for. The fans in every city go nuts for MJ. But Michael still doesn't look quite like Michael. Phil Jackson talked about his feet being of clay. You know, feet of clay, I remember the phrase. He put on weight to play baseball. He had a muscle up in places that were not basketball in his body. And he didn't come back as the athlete he was. But in his fifth game back against the Knicks, Jordan goes off. Jordan winds up with 55 points, a performance often referred to as the double nickel. And so it's like, here he's hit a winning shot before, now he's scored 55, so he's back. The Bulls still aren't perfect. They're considered undersized and don't have a traditional power forward. But who cares? They just need to get to the playoffs. That's where Michael Jordan shines. In the first game of the playoffs, Jordan sets the tone with 48 points, and the Bulls easily roll past the Charlotte Hornets. But in the next round, the Bulls are up against the Orlando Magic, 
the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, led by the most dominant big man in the league. In Game 1 against the Magic, Chicago is up by a point near the end of the fourth quarter. 91-90 the score. Chicago with the lead with 18 and 110 seconds to play. And Jordan spinning his way against Anderson. It's a little tough to hear over the crowd, but Jordan has the ball knocked away by Magic guard Nick Anderson, allowing his team to score and win. And Nick, who's from Chicago, probably should have known better, says, you know, 45 ain't 23. Anderson's steal caps off one of the worst playoff games of Jordan's career. He makes only 8 of 22 shots, scoring just 19 points. He also turns the ball over 8 times. It really flipped on the first game. If Jordan doesn't make that turnover, the Bulls win game one. And now Orlando, which we saw the year before, they were a little fragile mentally, that team. Jordan recovers in game two with 38 points, and he scores 40 in game three. But many NBA players will tell you, letting that one winnable game slip away early in the series can be impossible to overcome. Big miss, rebound, it's and over. The, it's over right here. Here's the you know what? cherry on the Sunday. It's all over, and the Bulls' season comes to an end. Here at the United States. The Magic close out the Bulls in Game 6, 108-102, to in Chicago, on Jordan's home floor. Jordan stoically hugs his opponents before walking off the court. June 14, 1995. It's been a few weeks since the Bulls were eliminated. It's now Game 4 of the Finals, and the Rockets are about to sweep the Magic. Michael Jordan is still furious. He thinks he should be there. He came back to basketball, did the work, took his team to the playoffs, but it wasn't enough. He was glad to be back to basketball, but make no mistake, he was very angry. The kind of anger born out of this long grief. Was Michael Jordan watching that on television or was it almost too hard for him to watch after being eliminated? It's the only time he really lost in the playoffs during his prime. Yeah, I doubt he I doubt he watched it. He wasn't one so much for, you know, he would go and play. He would go play golf. <laughs> he was going to play basketball. He was he was a player. He was a player and a competitor. He wasn't a spectator. In the summer of 1995, Bulls assistant coach Tex Winter finds himself in an unfamiliar position, trying to reassure Michael Jordan. Tex Winter was obviously shaking himself, and he said, we all had had to get together and tell Michael he's still our guy, that this this is a temporary setback. And I'm going, wait a minute, you had to tell Michael he's still your guy? It's during this offseason that Jordan makes another career move, starring in Space Jam. Believe it or not, this is how he gets his basketball mojo back. He went and made the movie. But part of the deal is he sets up this gym there. Now that becomes the meeting place all summer. So he's holding these nightly scrimmages, uh, you know, involving most of the best players, half of whom had this movie, you know, and so he's he's getting in shape 
getting in condition for the next season by pushing himself all that summer in all these games. By the start of the 95-96 season, Jordan looks like Jordan again. He's locked in, and the Bulls are basically unstoppable. He returned with such ferocity, which was the driving force for that great 95-96 season. They blew out of the blocks like a locomotive. They were just destroying people. As that season gained momentum, everybody feared Jordan anyway. But I think that was his most fearful. The Bulls finished the regular season, 72 wins, just 10 losses. And a ball club that set NBA history with wins on the year. The Bulls dominate the playoffs as well, winning 15 out of 18 games. And on June 16, 1996, Michael Jordan leads the Bulls to a win in Game 6 of the Finals against the Seattle Supersonics to close out his fourth NBA championship. An emotional moment for Michael Jordan. The tears are flowing. And I would think there is a tie-in with his late dad on this Father's Day, 1996. Jordan and the Bulls win two more titles afterward in 97 and 98. They're so dominant over this stretch that some great teams, led by future Hall of Famers, are basically resigned to coming in second place. It became a phenomenon unmatched in in the history of American sport, and it will never be matched again. You'll never see anything that rivals it. And who knows if Jordan's second three-peat even happens if Major League Baseball doesn't go on strike in 1994. Do players like Reggie Miller, Patrick Ewing, and Gary Payton win championships with Jordan out of the league? Do we still consider Jordan the GOAT if he ends his basketball career with three rings instead of six? So many questions left unanswered. And they're unanswered because, come on, Michael Jordan was always going to come back. Thanks for listening to Sports History This Week. For moments through our history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. Other notable sports stories that happened this week? 1977. The New York Mets trade away 32-year-old Tom Seaver in what many fans considered to be one of the worst trades in team history. And 1994. O.J. Simpson and Al Cowlings lead the Los Angeles police on a slow car chase that was covered live on television. If you'd like to get in touch, please shoot us an email at sportspod at history.com or leave us a voicemail at 212-351-0410. We'd love to hear from you. Special thanks to our guest, Terry Francona, two-time World Series champion manager. Sam Smith, writer for Bulls.com and author of The Jordan Rules. And Roland Lazenby, author of Michael Jordan, The Life. His biography of Magic Johnson will be out in October of this year. This episode was produced by David Ingbert. It was story edited by me, Caitlin Jones, and sound designed by Bill Moss. Sports History This Week is also produced by Cooper McKim. Our senior producer is Ben Dickstein. Our associate producers are Emma Fredericks, Hazel May, and Jonah Buchanan. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producer is Jesse Katz. 
Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Sports History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Copyright 2023 A&E Television Networks, LLC. All rights reserved.